Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Welcome to Snazzy Stories. If you would like to keep the storytelling alive, please go to patreon.com slash snazzy stories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Also subscribe to Snazzy Stories on iTunes, Spotify, many podcast apps, or go to snazzystories.com and leave an awesome review. Every location has its mysteries or skeletons in the closet, and Utah is no exception. This skeleton is about a man named Jean-Baptiste. Jean-Baptiste may have been born in Ireland in 1813. However, many knew of him in Australia and believed he came from Venice, Italy. Where Jean-Baptiste is from is not quite clear. However, we do know that he left Australia in 1855 after joining the LDS Church. He arrived in Honolulu, then continued his journey to San Francisco, California in 1856 and stayed there for a few years. However, his journey was not yet complete. By 1859, he was in Salt Lake City, Utah, with the other members of the LDS Church to help build their Zion. Baptiste built a small house near the cemetery, and he had married a woman named Dorothy Jennison. The two were not married for long when a major event occurred that would change their lives forever. In 1861, Governor John W. Dawson, Utah's third governor, only served three weeks of his term. He had made unwanted advances towards a widowed woman, and she reportedly beat him with a shovel. He fled the territory. Dawson was attacked by a group of young vigilante men who robbed and beat him. Law enforcement pursued the attackers, and out of the seven vigilantes, four were arrested and three were killed by police when trying to escape. One of these men killed went by the name of Moroni Clausen. Moroni Clausen was never claimed by his family to be given a proper burial. Therefore, Henry Heath, a police officer, offered to pay for this man's burial, including a suit in which to be buried. After Moroni's burial, his brother George finally came to claim him, and he was eventually exhumed and to be moved to be buried near other family members in Draper, Utah. When his casket was opened, a discovery was made. He was buried face down, and he was stark naked. Moroni's brother George was extremely upset and was bound to confront the person responsible. He confronted the person who had paid for the funeral, Henry Heath. Officer Heath stood his ground and was clear with the upset brother that Moroni was not buried in such a disrespectful way. After all, he had paid for the burial arrangements and a set of clothes. They immediately set out to have a chat with the sexton, However, he was confused by the situation and did not have any ideas as to what happened. Therefore, they headed for the home of the gravedigger, Jean-Baptiste. Baptiste was not home when they arrived, as he was working in the cemetery. His wife, Dorothy, was home and allowed them to come into the house. Within their exchange of conversation, they began to look around the room, and Officer Heath, along with a few others, noticed boxes stacked around the room. Peeking inside the boxes, he noticed clothing. After the clothes were thoroughly examined, it was determined that these clothes used to clothe the dead. Officer Henry Heath had recently lost his daughter nine months previous, and his mind went directly to her body laying in the ground. As these horrendous actions came to light, they rushed off to the cemetery to find the gravedigger, Jean-Baptiste. 
The group of men found Baptiste and immediately accused the gravedigger of being a grave robber. He confessed and dropped to his knees, pleading for mercy. Baptiste answered yes to robbing the many graves in question by Heath. However, Officer Heath was concerned with one particular grave, that of his daughter. Officer Heath was ready to kill Baptiste if he answered yes to robbing his daughter's grave. Luckily for Baptiste, he answered no to the questioning of Heath's daughter's grave. The group of men hastily took Baptiste to jail before anyone in the town could string him up by the nearest tree. After he had been secured in a jail cell, police officers went back to Jean-Baptiste's house and removed all of the clothing, shoes, and other stolen items. Baptiste had taken 60 pairs of children's and adults' shoes, clothing, personal belongings, and jewelry from over 300 graves. Baptiste had also used some wood from the caskets as firewood. Officials decided to display all of the clothing and items in the Salt Lake City Courthouse. Citizens could then go through their family members' items and claim them. They were displayed on a 50-foot table. Eventually, those items not claimed were put into a box and buried in a plot in the city cemetery. When word got out of this despicable act, people were shocked. LDS leader Brigham Young even addressed the situation in a sermon. He said, quote, I am unable to think so low as to get at such a mean, contemptible, damnable trick. I have three sisters in the graveyard in this city, two wives and several children, besides other connections and near relatives, unquote. However, President Brigham Young confirmed that personally, he would not go to each of those loved ones' graves and open them to check and see if they had been defiled. He would leave them to sleep in peace. However, he did not tell his Mormon people that they should not check on their own loved ones. To those concerned by the recent terrible truth, he told them that they could dig up their dead if they chose to and, quote, put them in your gardens where you can watch them by day and night until you are pretty sure that the clothing is rotted and then lay them away in the burying ground, unquote. And he did give some comforting words to his congregation. He stated, quote, I will defy any thief there is on the earth or in hell to rob a saint of one blessing. When the resurrection takes place, the saints will come forth with all the glory, beauty, and excellences of resurrected saints, clothed as they were when they were laid away. Unquote. When the police officers took Baptiste to jail, they had to keep him away from the other prisoners for his own safety, while the judge decided what punishment was suitable. Judge Smith wrote in his journal that, quote, the populace would have torn him to pieces, such was the excitement produced by the unheard of occurrence, unquote. There were no court records made of what became of Jean Baptiste. In fact, the only evidence that implies that there indeed was any judicial thoughts on the situation was from Judge Smith's journal. According to Brigham Young, to hang or shoot Baptiste would, quote, do no good to anybody but himself, unquote, and that it would be too easy of a punishment to hang or shoot him. Ultimately, the decision was made to banish or exile Jean-Baptiste from society. Whether that was to keep him away from the lynch mobs or whether it was the actual punishment is unclear. But in the spring of 1862, the grave robber was taken to Antelope Island at the Great Salt Lake, but because the water was quite shallow at the time, they didn't want him being able to make his way back to the city. So they took him further out to maroon him on a smaller island called Fremont Island. 
However, Fremont Island was not completely desolate. At this time, the Miller family used the island for their cattle to graze. Therefore, on the island, there was a small wooden shack with the bare minimum of provisions used by family members when they went to check on their cattle. Usually every three weeks, the members of the family would go and check on their cattle. Within three weeks of Baptiste's banishment, the Miller brothers, whose cattle is on the island, made a trip to the island to check on their livestock, only to discover that Jean-Baptiste was nowhere to be found. Upon investigation, they found parts of their shack to be taken apart and missing, and the carcass of a cow was nearby, with some of the hide cut into strips. They theorized that Baptiste had used the wood from the shack and the hide from the cow to build a makeshift raft to escape his island prison. Jean-Baptiste was never heard from again. As the mystery of Jean-Baptiste grew, so did the story surrounding his exile. Some said that his forehead was branded with the words grave robber, and his ears had been cut off before being left to his own demise on Fremont Island. However, Officer Heath made no mention one way or the other of Baptiste's ears being severed in any of his accounts. And as for the branding, Officer Heath and another officer, Officer Dewey, said that the brand on his forehead was only a declaration stating, quote, branded for robbing the dead, unquote, but that it was written in indelible ink. Many years later, around 1890, a group of duck hunters found a human skull near the mouth of the Jordan River at the south end of the Great Salt Lake, but that was nowhere near Fremont Island. Three years after the skull was discovered, a partial human skeleton was found, missing its head, with a ball and chain around its leg. The newspapers got a hold of the story and began announcing that Jean-Baptiste had at last been found. However, Officer Heath was adamant about Baptiste never being shackled or having a ball and chain attached to him. Heath believed that Baptiste had escaped the island and traveled to a mining town in Montana, or at least Heath said he had a reliable source that had given him that information. Even if the mining camp story is true, that did not stop many from continuing the mysterious disappearance legends of the notorious grave robber. To this day, many have claimed to see Baptiste's ghostly figure walking the shores of the Great Salt Lake because his spirit will never be at rest for his evil deeds of robbing the dead. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story. 